All right, well, we are going to be not in Matthew, but in 1 John over the next several weeks. I, I spent some time just kind of wrestling through what we were going to do. This is a, something I've spent some time in with the teens. So if you are in a, uh, a home with young people in the 12 to 18 category, they probably know all the answers already. So that's good for you. You don't have to get stumped. They can help you. So if, if that's you, you can, uh, you can help your parents walk through that. But what I thought is we do something a little bit uh, different. Uh, then, so this would be more of an inductive Bible study. It won't be identical to what we do on Wednesdays, but it'll be more similar to that than a typical Sunday morning. So what we're going to do is we're going to work through this together and try to draw our conclusions as we go. So uh, yes, I have spent time preparing this, but it's going to be a little bit different in that it's not going to be just kind of hopefully me kind of serving and saying here, but it's more kind of us going through a process of discovery uh, together. So we pray for God to open our eyes, to show us what's in his word, that his spirit would uh, practice and would help us, would illuminate us, would show us. So one thing would be uh, to have your Bible as we do this. Now it's going to be real tempting not to because we've got a lot of other stuff going on and there's no one next to you seeing, but, but I think you will discover more if, if you see it for yourself. And also, uh, particularly during this time, uh, try to, to be free of distractions. So focus in on the word as, as we do this together, show a commitment of doing this. So my hope in doing it this way is that you end up feeling less like you're sort of just watching me do something, almost like I'm performing a sermon, and more like uh, I'm communicating with you. We're walking through this uh, together. As we do this, uh, I've got a, uh, some stuff that I think as we walk through this, hopefully will be uh, helpful for us. Hopefully you can see what's on the screen here. But I wanted to begin by saying some questions. I got four questions. It's really five. So there's a bonus question at the end. But and these are things that, in terms of discovery, are helpful for us. So one thing uh, I would hope is that, in addition to our time here, that we also uh, learn to study our Bibles. And so how is it that you dig into the Word of God and see what God has there? And so uh, four questions and then a fifth. So the, the, fourth, the, the four are this. So the first thing is, what does this say? In particular, what we're asking there is, what does it say to the original audience? So this was written to a group of people in real time, by a real person in real time. And so what does it say to those people? Then we kind of move from there through time, and then we ask, what does this mean to us? A lot of times that's the first question we ask, but that's not the most helpful question to start with. We kind of move from original audience, original intent, to what it means to us, or how does this apply? Where does the rubber meet the road? That's a question we always want to ask, but there's a good second question to ask. And then connected to that, what does this teach us about God? Well, what does this teach us about Christ or the Spirit? Are there, are there things here that in terms of understanding who our God is and how he has revealed himself, are there things here that would be helpful for us? Uh, the fourth question is, what does this teach us about ourselves? In other words, does this teach us uh, how much we're in need of God's grace? Does this teach us to humble ourselves? Does this teach, what does this teach us about the gospel and how we should respond? So, what does this teach us about ourselves? So those are the four primary questions. And the fifth that I like to throw in because it's so helpful sometimes is, that, is there anything surprising here? Or is there anything that we don't expect? And sometimes uh, that, that's the most uh, fruitful question in terms of what we expect. So let me, let me see if I can, uh, I think we got a little, some screen sharing going here. And I'm gonna go back to sharing my screen. Try that. So, and so the, the fifth question is, is there anything uh, surprising here? So as we dig into this, just a couple of things as we go into 1 John. So today we're going to look at these first four verses. And uh, the book of 1 John is one of the, it's, it's the, 
among the most simple books in terms of the language itself. In other words, it's not like Shakespeare. It's like, um, I don't know, contemporary novels, very simple Greek. But at the same time, there's a level of genius to it because he's drawing connections all throughout scripture. So even today, when we start, we'll see he's very quickly just using words and echoes of other parts of scripture. It's written near the end of the first century. So uh, John is one of the last surviving apostles, the very end of the first century. And so it's very late. And so he has a, a high emphasis, and we'll see this again real quickly this morning, on eyewitness testimony. In other words, a people who were actually there and who walked, who talked with Jesus, who heard him, who touched him. Now, why is John writing this? And he's dealing with, uh, we're gonna, I'm gonna scroll down here a little bit on my screen. You can, you can see it right here. He's dealing with an idea called Gnosticism. Now, that's not a word we use a lot today, but it's, it's a word related to knowledge. So if you look here, I mean, you kind of see the root is Gnosis. And it's, it's a, a, a group of people, and, and then kind of a subcategory under that is what we call Docetism. Now, these are things, again, they're not, they're, they're 50 cent words. They're not kind of your everyday words, but he's dealing with uh, this particular teaching. Now, now, what Gnosticism would teach is that Jesus as revealed in scripture isn't enough. You need some sort of higher knowledge. There's something that a few, seek, few people have, and you need whatever that secret is to truly know God, you must have that secret. And so John writes and he says, no, 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 that's not true. Jesus as revealed is enough. Christ is enough, you don't need something else. And so the Gnostics would teach these three categories that you can kind of see here at the bottom, that there are people without knowledge. And so these are the, the, the stupid people. They have, they have nothing, they have no idea, and so um, they kind of look at them like animals. They're just out there. Then there are people, and sometimes we might use the word seeker or something to describe this, but these are people with potential for knowledge. So you're not there, but you're on a journey, and we hope that you can join us in kind of our higher level of knowledge. And then, of course, the third category, the elite, those are people with knowledge. And so John writes, and he says, no, Jesus, as revealed in the incarnation, as revealed to you in the Word of God, he is enough. Now, when John writes his book, he tells us four times why he's writing, and each time he tells us something a little bit different. There are four purpose statements. I've got them here for you. John writes, we are writing these things first so that our joy may be complete. So the first reason he writes is he writes for our joy. Now, the second reason he gives us at the beginning of chapter two, he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So he writes to help us fight sin, fight the presence and power of sin in our lives. The third thing he gives us at the end of chapter two, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So he writes to protect us from false teachers. In, in this case, particularly to this, these, this original audience, uh, to these Gnostics, these people who are saying, Jesus isn't enough, you need something extra. He's saying, no, Christ as revealed in the incarnation and in his word is enough. And then the fourth reason that he writes is near the end of the book in chapter five, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this really is the summary of everything that's come before. And this is kind of his ultimate reason in writing. So John writes, not, not to teach us what it means, or to ask the question, how do we know Christ? But how do we know if we know Christ? So it's, it's a second question. So the most important question anyone uh, should be able to answer is, do you know Christ? In other words, do, do you know that the gospel is the good news, that the creator God who made all things sent his son Jesus to die for your sin, and by trusting his life, death, burial, resurrection, 
that you can have eternal life with the Father. So that's the first thing. But that's not really the question that John is seeking to answer here. It's not, do you know the gospel? Do you know Christ? He's asking a second question. Do you know that you know Christ? Or do you have confidence that you know Christ? In other words, there's a, uh, in, in this book, John uses forms of the word know in five chapters 36 times. And so he's really saying, what can we know? So we're going to go back now right up to these first four verses. We're going to uh, spend a few minutes just working our way through these. Uh, John writes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this so that our joy may be complete. So John writes about what is from the beginning. And I told you that he makes a lot of allusions to different sections of Scripture. And so what is he making an allusion to here? Well, if you think back to the very beginning of the Word of God, uh, Genesis chapter 1, first three verses in the Bible, in the beginning. Well, then if you track to John's gospel, what are the three verses, three first three words in his gospel? In the beginning. So Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created everything. And then John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And that word, John 1.12 tells us, is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. So what is John's message here? Well, John's message has to do with what he's seen, what he's heard, what he's touched. What's he referring to? He's referring to the fact that God became a human being, that Jesus is a real person in real time. So when he talks about the word of life, what's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word. And so he's saying this isn't just a story. It's not something that, uh, that, that you just hear about. It's something like we have literally, we've seen this person. We have reached with our hands and touched this person. We have heard this person speak. Well, what conclusions can we draw from this verse about Jesus? In other words, what does this teach us about Christ? One thing it teaches us that Jesus is eternal. You see there from the, in in verse one, he says, this, he was from the beginning. In other words, from before all time, Jesus Christ was before anything and he will be after everything. So he's eternal. But the second thing that we see is that Jesus Christ is a real human being. He was seen, he was heard, he was touched. Like, I mean, in the coronavirus, he's someone you have to keep social distance from. He literally walked and talked and lived and breathed the life, the air that we breathe. Now, verse 2 tells us that John adds to this message. This is the word of life. And what's his message here? He says, the life appeared. Now, one thing that you'll see as we walk through this book is that John is very repetitive. And so he's going to repeat himself. So in verse 1, he's already said that we've seen Jesus. And now he said, again, we, we have seen him. And so why is, he, why is he repeating this so much? Why is he making this point? Because it's important to know that not only is is Jesus God, but he's not just distant. He's God who's come to us. He's come with us. He's come near us. And so we've seen it and testified to it. Now, this is important because if you remember, uh, as I noted at the beginning, John is still alive 
when he's writing this. Like there, there are other people still living who have seen Jesus. There are firsthand witnesses to who Jesus is. And so when he says, we, the life appeared, what is the life? Or better put, who is the life? Well, it's a reference to Christ. I mean, that's what Jesus said in John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you were to track over a few verses in 1 John and look in uh, chapter 5, verses 11, 12, uh, you would see this. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. This life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So what conclusions can we draw from this verse about Jesus? Again, Jesus is eternal. The life, he said, we proclaim to you the eternal life. But secondly, Jesus is with the Father from eternity. He was with the Father. He had eternal fellowship with God. Now, now this idea of fellowship is going to be important because we're going to see this uh, in the coming verses, particularly in verse 3. So Jesus is eternal. He has eternal fellowship with the Father. And then Jesus became human. He appeared to us. So this one who's lived forever, can you imagine meeting someone who has existed forever? We, we all have some sort of starting point in life, but not Jesus. No, he has a starting point in his earthly life, in the incarnation, but he is the eternal son and he has appeared to us. And this is what John is writing about. So then he comes to verse three and he's, he's saying over and over again, this is what we proclaim to you. Verse three says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Now, remember I said, John likes to repeat himself and he's doing it. It's like, if you, if you, if you have not gotten by now, the idea that it's really important that you know that Jesus is someone that you could see, someone you could touch, someone you could literally hear, uh, John's saying it over and over again. Now, why is John proclaiming this? Why is he writing this? In verse three, he says, so that you may have fellowship with us. Now, what is fellowship? I mean, sometimes it's a Christian word for party. Like, we have fellowships, not parties. But fellowship, really, scripturally, is the idea of people who believe the gospel gathering together around the gospel. Fellowship, as a word, means to have something in common. And scripturally, what we have in common is the gospel, faith in Christ. It's, it's a strong enjoyment of something that you have in common with someone else. Uh, so for instance, there are very few people in the world, but, but those few people know that the thing to gather around when it comes to food is dunking a cookie in milk. And, and there's something that you share in common, and that thing brings you joy, something you have in fellowship with those people. Well, scripturally, the, the idea is that we have fellowship, we have in common Christ. And when we have him in common, we have fellowship. So remember, we've already seen in verse 2 that Jesus Christ is with the Father. He's from the Father. Now John makes a remarkable claim in verse 3. He says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So who does John fellowship with? He fellowships with Jesus, and he fellowships with the eternal Father, the eternal Son and eternal Father. Those are, those are John's, John's homeboys. Those are, those are the people he hangs out with. Those are the people he has fellowship with. And Jesus has been in, uh, in fellowship with God from eternity past. And now John says he shares this fellowship. Well, why does John write to us, verse 3? So that we may have fellowship. 
So let's just, just think about this. Father, son, John, they all have this relationship, this fellowship. And John says he's writing so that we might fellowship with, with John. And so if we have fellowship with John, if we share something in common with John, who else do we share it in common with? Well, with the Father and, and, and the Son, Christ and his Father. And so John writes ultimately so that we can have fellowship with God. So if we fellowship with John, we have fellowship with God himself. And, and John writes as well that he says that if, if we accept his message, we have fellowship with God and also then with other Christians. And so there's this shared commonality. And it's not just something that we share in common with each other. In sharing it with each other, we are sharing it with God himself. So when we share fellowship around the gospel, we are fellowshipping with Father, Son, Spirit. God himself is fellowshipping with us. And then John wraps this first paragraph up here in verse 4, and he says, we write this. We said this is one of his framing statements in the book. He says, we write this to make our joy complete so that our joy may be complete. So John writes this so that we know that Jesus is a human being, that he is a real person in real time. We know that he's not just a human being. He's eternal. He's God himself. He writes so that we can have fellowship. And what does this produce? What does this fellowship produce for us? It produces joy. So if you know God through faith in Christ, if you fellowship one as, as one with the body of Christ, what John says this produces in your life is joy. And, and, he, and he says to make our joy complete. In other words, it's not just like a measure of joy. It's to maximize our joy. It's, it's, it's to give us the, the greatest amount of joy. And so believing the truth about Jesus leads to fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And then what does that fellowship do? John says that fellowship makes us happy or joyful. In other words, one fruit of the gospel in our lives is love, joy, peace, and the list goes on in Galatians chapter 5. So if we worship Jesus for who he truly is, not only does he rescue our souls uh, from judgment, not only does he rescue us from the power and presence of sin in our lives, but he also gives us something that everyone's looking for, joy, joy in Christ. So how is it in a time when we're anxious, in a time when we're trying to figure out, you know, which way is up? Can I go out? Can I not? Is it safe to touch my groceries? Is it safe to touch the cart? Is it safe to, to say hi to that person? We're trying to figure these things out. John writes so that in the middle of all of this, we can know, we can have joy, and not just a measure of joy, but complete maximum joy if we know that we have fellowship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so as John writes this book, he's getting at this idea. How do you know if you know Christ? In other words, how can you have confidence in your relationship with God? Not how do you walk through life hoping you get to heaven? You know, do you think you'll get to heaven when you die? I hope so. How can you have a level of certainty and confidence in who you are to, to the degree where not only are you so confident in that, but you can have joy in the outcome? And John says, in the meantime, that gift comes to us, that confidence comes to us. One way it comes to us is through fellowship. It's through fellowship with the body of Christ, because fellowship in the body of Christ is a small picture of the fellowship that we share with God. And when we share relationships with one another, it's a way just of, of getting a little taste of what it means to share eternal joy, eternal home, eternal fellowship with God himself. And so as we kind of wrap this up, I just want to ask a question. 
So if this is true, if what, if what John has said is true, that by knowing God, we have fellowship with each other, with God himself, and this gives us joy. Why then is my life, why are our lives not more full of joy and happiness? I think at some level, it's often because we ask the wrong question. When we ask about joy or happiness, what do we ask? What will make me happy? What will bring me joy? And what does John say here? We get joy by pursuing Christ. We get joy by worshiping God, by communing with him, by fellowshipping with him. Joy is a fruit of this relationship. It's not the point of the relationship. God himself is the point of the relationship. If we pursue God, we get joy. If we pursue joy, we get heartache. And so what he says here is that we must pursue God. Our happiness for us is often a selfish pursuit. I want what makes me happy. I want that new game system. I want that car. I want that promotion. That will make me happy. I want that house. I want that, that person. I want, I want a relationship with, with him or her. And those things we pursue to make us happy. And what they do is they demonstrate to us the selfishness of our heart. And here he says, we only get joy as we get God. We pursue God and then God gives us joy. We don't get joy by trying to make ourselves happy. We get joy by pursuing God himself. So as we close this time, wrap this up, remember this, joy is a fruit of worshiping God. It's not like our happiness is a product. It's a gift that God will give us as we pursue our joy in him. All right, we're going to wrap our time up together. In just a minute, we're going to sing uh, one final song, or at least attempt to sing it together. Uh, and so I'm going to go ahead and stop this recording, and uh, we'll, we'll start that, and we'll give it one more shot. We've got it as well. Let's, let's pray together. God, we do thank you for Christ our Savior, not just that he's eternal and reigns in heaven above, but that he came and experienced a life like we experience it. He knew, no, he knew what it is and knows what it is uh, to get sick, uh, to be tired, to be discouraged. Lord, I thank you that he also wasn't a human being like others, but that he never sinned. He walked through this life and died so that we can have life with you. Lord, I pray that you will give us confidence in our relationship with him, confidence in our fellowship with each other, and Lord, also that you will give us the gift of joy. You write this to us so that our joy might be complete. Lord, help us to have complete joy in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.